Is he worthy to praise this morning? Last Sunday morning, we had way too much movement during this service. Okay? This is the Lord's time. Father, thank you for the privilege. Thank you for letting us gather together and open your word. And we still believe that the Holy Spirit of God convicts, and we still believe you save. So if there's somebody here unsure of their relationship with you, Lord Jesus, I pray today would be the day that they eternally settle it once and for all. We praise you for who you are. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Go ahead and be seated. I, uh, I want to commend, before we begin this service, our young people. Yesterday, I knew they had an overnighter retreat. They're all back here in their T-shirt, wearing the same T-shirts. Young people, stand if you were involved over the weekend, okay? And leaders, stand with them, okay? Look at that, amen? Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. Uh, it was opening day Little League here in Camden, and it was crazy at the ball fields, and and after uh, a little while, the teams were inter introduced and all of that took place. Uh, we made our way back to the concession stand to find Kasia and the girls working in the concession stand. I'm thinking, how'd they get here? Then I made my way back to church for a few minutes, and Debbie Stanzi and her crew of guys, and maybe some girls, but I saw guys, were here at the church, and they had mowed and and landscaped and done a bunch of stuff here at church for us, so I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that Keisha is teaching them not just to be takers, but givers. So I want to assure you, and I want to encourage you, when, when we help send a kid to camp, we're not talking just about a week of vacation of fun. We're hoping it's an investment in them being a soldier for the Lord Jesus Christ throughout their life, amen? And I know we've got some guests that served with our church. Thank you for doing that. And we're delighted you're here and grateful to have you this morning. Now, it's on page 820 in my Bible. It's on page 629 in the red Bible in front of you. But I'm sure most of you can find Nahum pretty quick. Go ahead. Let's turn to the book of Nahum in the Old Testament. Now, let me give you some hints. Close your Bible. Go about halfway. Just, just guess. Most of the time, you'll hit Psalms, Proverbs, maybe a, maybe a prophet. Mine opened to Isaiah, okay? Nahum is a minor prophet. The minor prophets follow the majors, so you know it's behind uh, Ezekiel and Daniel and those, okay? And this morning, we have a great privilege to dig into a small place that will teach us a big truth. Now, you might be here and say, Brother Greg, I'm not even sure I've ever turned to Nahum. Well, you have, and you, you may have read it, and it's just, uh, you've just skipped right through it, but I believe you're going to find the truth this morning as we look for the next three weeks at this little book that I really believe has a big truth. How many of us believe the Bible is the Word of God? Raise your hand. Does not the Bible say itself in 2 Timothy 3.16, that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped or thoroughly furnished for every good work. Now, my mother-in-law, before she went to heaven, her television was on the game show network 24-7. You think I'm kidding. I mean, she knew every answer to family feud you can possibly come up with. She also enjoyed, what's when they spin the big wheel? Oh, don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. Right? Wheel of Fortune. Does anybody know what comes on after Wheel of Fortune every night on a different channel? Jeopardy. Jeopardy. Let's play Jeopardy together. This morning, I'll give you the hints, and let's see if you can come up with a word. Too small or unimportant to worth consideration. 
a person without power or influence. Meaningless. What is insignificance? What is insignificance? This morning, you might be here and feel like no one knows anything about your life or no one cares anything about your life. Um, You know, I mentioned the teens earlier. Sometimes when we're teenagers, we think that because mom and dad put boundaries on us that they somehow don't love us. To tell you the truth, the parent that puts boundaries on you does love you. A coach that does demand something does love you. A teacher that doesn't let you just skate by does love you. Or maybe you're here today and you're saying, Brother Greg, we're insignificant. Uh, No one really knows anything about my life and no one really cares. Well, this morning, I want to introduce to you this little three-chapter book that I think will help us recognize that God does bring big truths about. Sometimes he chooses to use small places. Insignificant is what many would think Nahum is about one of 12 minor prophets tucked in between Micah and Habakkuk. Some would say that a minor prophet is insignificant, but we just read that every word of God is pure. We just read that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. So there must be a lesson that he wants to teach us in this short little book of Nahum. Let's begin reading, and we'll set the stage for us as we think about big truths in small places. Verse one, the burden against Nineveh. Circle Nineveh, yeah, that should, that should trigger something in most of us. Nineveh, Jonah, Nineveh, yes. The book of the vision of Nahum, the Elkishite. Now, it's interesting that we don't even know where Elkosh is. There's some speculation, but no one can really put their finger, pin their finger down that we know where this place, where this minor prophet came from. Uh, Friday night, our oldest grandson had a baseball game in uh, Blue Ash, Cincinnati. This was going through my mind. The game was at 6 o'clock on Friday. Who wants to leave Provo County at 6 o'clock on Friday night to drive to Cincinnati? That's going through my mind as a great devoted papaw. You've got to be kidding me. Who come up with a schedule like this? But you know what? I typed in Blue Ash address, and I knew where I was going. It was identified. The place we're talking about this morning, where Nahum is from, we don't even know where it's at. We, we, we don't even know the location. But yet God chooses to use this minor prophet to share a big truth. And I love the fact that God uses insignificant places at times to do big things. For instance, would we not say that Bethlehem to many was insignificant? But yet there, the Christ would be born. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? But yet that's where Jesus was raised. So sometimes what the world... Sometimes what the world wants to throw away, God is just there to grab and use. You might be here today and say, Brother Greg, I don't get a break because of my last name. I don't get a break because of a decision I made a long time ago. I don't get a break because of something that, that I regret so much, and if I could go back and change it, I would, but I can't, and it's affected my life to this point. Listen, why don't we just begin to say, okay, God, give me a new page. Turn the page in my life, and I'll, I'll, I'll take the step into the new season or the new chapter. Uh, write this down in your outline as we think about Elkosh and Nahum, this prophet. When no one else knows where you come from, God has a record. God knows your past. He knows where you've been. He knows the trial you've had. He knows the struggles that you go through. And we recognize that Nahum... Uh, A lot of what God did in his life simply was because God was choosing to use a new voice for a new season. Now, the name Nahum means comfort, 
or consolation. The timing of this writing is somewhere between 663 before Jesus, before his birth, down to 612. That has something to do with what's called the fall of Thebes, which occurred in 663, all the way down to Nahum foretelling judgment that would come to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh. Brother Greg, are you saying we're talking about the same Nineveh that was involved with Jonah? The answer is yes. But now we're 100 years later. Now, I want you to back up. Just, just flip a few pages back to Jonah. Okay, just go ahead, walk it back. Let me hear the pages turn. Brother Greg, are you talking about the same Nineveh where Jonah was told to cry out against it that God is aware of their wickedness? Yes. Are you talking about the same Nineveh that led to Jonah's reluctance to go the opposite direction when God called and to board a ship? Yes. Are you talking about the same Jonah and the same Nineveh where God sends a great wind and those on the ship thought they were going to die and they asked Jonah to call out to his God and then Jonah says, I'm the reason for the storm? Yes. Are we talking about the same Jonah and the same story of Nineveh where they throw him overboard and he's swallowed up by a great fish? The answer is yes. Now, how many of us really believe that Jonah was swallowed up by a great fish according to the Bible? Raise your hand. Folks, I believe if the word of God had presented it this way, I would still believe it, that Jonah swallowed a great fish because it's the word of God. That's who we're talking about. Brother Greg, are we talking about the same Jonah that when uh, that fish spit him up on land, he hit the ground running, preaching like he'd never preached before? Yes. Are we talking about the same Jonah in chapter 3 whose message was to Nineveh, in 40 days you shall be overthrown? Yes. Now look what happened. Verse 5, chapter 3, Jonah. Are you looking at it? So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. And the word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes, and, caused, and he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let every one turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hand. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said would, he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Brother Greg, are you talking about the Nineveh that according to Scripture here sees revival? That's exactly who I'm talking about. Now, I believe it's fitting that this is the passage to open not only this book, but the day in which I preach it tonight. Because a hundred years later, God is going to have to deal with them again. Guess what? About the very same thing. They turned from this decree, this revival that had taken place, and now God is having to get their attention as they have wandered away from the truth. Folks, before we're too hard on Nineveh, I want to tell you that sometimes we experience revival and it lasts about a day. Sometimes we experience revival personally, and it might last a week. It might last a month. And here, a hundred years later, judgment is going to be uh, called again, but this time, God is not using Jonah. He will use a prophet named Nahum. Why? Because God can use 
small things can make big differences and big impacts. You see, in this story of Jonah, we read about revival, but sadly, there's a problem. Write it down. Number three. Jonah seems to be the only one in Nineveh who missed revival. Wait a minute, Brother Greg. Didn't you just say that God used him? He did. Didn't you just say that God miraculously delivered him? He did. He saw God do an awesome thing, verse 10, chapter 3. God saw their works. He saw God turn from destroying Nineveh, and this is his reaction. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. I believe the tragedy of the ministry of Jonah is he's the only one in Nineveh who wasn't revived. He was the one on stage. He was the one who had the story. Can you imagine his testimony that he's telling them, probably as he's wiping fish goop off his forehead? He's the one that God used. But now, a hundred years later, we're in the little book of Nahum, and they need to be reminded of some truths. Chuck Swindoll said Jonah had failed to realize what Nahum would remind the people of Judah that God's justice is always right and always sure. Should he choose to grant mercy for a time, that good gift would not compromise his ultimate sense of justice. You know, some would say, Brother Greg, did God change his mind the first time with Jonah and Nineveh? I mean, does God change his mind? Does, is God not sure what he wants to do? Folks, God's long-suffering is the mercy of God. It's his mercy. And here... We're introduced to someone that we don't know a whole lot about. But we see God use him in an awesome, big way. Be reminded this morning that God uses the insignificance to accomplish his purpose. And if you're here today and you're the person who always says no when you're asked to do something for the Lord, he'll find somebody else to do it. He's not going to drag you kicking and screaming. He'll just find somebody else to do it. And, and who knows what God may want to do through you if you simply lived a life of surrender and you decided to yield. You know, on the way down to Blue Ash, I was, and, and we know it now a little bit in our community, but I was introduced to about six of those drive-arounds. What do they call those? Roundabouts. And you know what an important thing about a roundabout is? The yield sign. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, you just whip out there in front of that and not wait your turn. Someone's likely to tell you you're number one. Folks, listen, you, you decide to do that with, uh, and get in front of a semi that's following the law, you might be in trouble. You know, everything was going real good in the youth event yesterday till I got a picture of a van that was down in a ditch. I'm not sure. I haven't asked any questions about that. But I found out in those turnarounds, roundabouts, that it's important to yield. And when you think about what God wants to do in our life, that's where it all begins. And when you think about revival, it all begins with a decision for you and I to make, okay, Lord, I'm going to yield myself to whatever you want to do. I love the fact that in this message from Nahum that we look at this morning, that God says, I used Jonah, but this time I'm going to use somebody else. I'm going to use somebody else. The message is twofold. It's a message to the Assyrians. It's a message to Nineveh that your time is up, that you don't call the shots. As powerful as you think you might be, uh, this is almost like a message that old Putin needs to hear this morning. You're not the one who has the final say. That there's a holy God who's in control, amen? And, and the Bible says, uh, he'll by no means clear the guilty. But the second part of this message is a message of hope to Judah. Because they saw what Assyria did to the northern kingdom, and there was great fear 
in their lives. You know, some of you are living in fear today. The Bible says God's not given us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. And folks battle things, don't we? I mean, we battle uh, anxiety and, and we battle phobias. You know, the fear of public speaking is one of a, a person's number one fears, getting in front of somebody. And you'll say, Brother Greg, I can't do it, or, or I can't do a certain thing, or I can never share my faith with somebody else, or I can never lead a, a Sunday school class, or I can never share my testimony from the pulpit. Listen to me. You may not be able to do that, but God can through you. You see, it's about yielding yourself. It's about saying, okay, I surrender, Lord. Uh, what do you want to do through me? And Nahum was one of those that God decided, I can use this guy. Nobody knows where he's from. He's never been on the stage and never been on the limelight. We don't read about him anywhere else in Scripture. And he says, I can use a person like that. Now, the message is twofold. Number four, it's the message of judgment, and it's a message of comfort. I love this when you think about Christianity. First of all, it is a message of judgment, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wage of sin is death, Romans 6, 23. But the gift of God is eternal life. Christianity, first of all, says that I'm condemned in my sin. No one in this room today good enough to get to heaven on your own. You are woefully short. Well, Brother Greg, I try to be good. No doubt in my mind we're surrounded by folks that try to do the right thing. You see, the message of Christianity is about a message of judgment on our sin, but it's also a message of hope because Jesus came to die for us. Amen? We decided to leave the cross up during revival to remind us of what the cross is all about. It's about his love for us so that I could be forgiven, so that I could be saved. He's the life changer. He's the life giver. Amen? Had the privilege Thursday to go to the first grade music presentation at the elementary school, which Brother Cody led. And folks, we could be in trouble. Based on what I saw Thursday, get ready for interpretive dance coming to First Camden. And someone called me after that and said, is that the guy that you guys just hired? And I said, it is. It is. And I said that with great joy. Great joy. You see, when you give your life to Christ, it's a time to recognize I was rescued in my woeful condition as a sinner, and I celebrate that heaven's my home because of the love of Jesus, the cross of Calvary. And when we get together to worship, as we talked about in First Connection today, worship should not be a dead ritual, going through the motions without any feeling. Worship should be saying, I was lost, I was dead, now I'm alive, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You say, Brother Greg, don't do that, that makes me uncomfortable. Then you will not enjoy heaven one bit. Heaven will be a time of worship. Nothing held back. No, think about that. You'll see God in all of his glory. Nothing in our lives in heaven. Listen, nothing will hold us back because there will be no sin in heaven. Amen? We've already checked this body here on earth. Perfect place forever, serving the Lord, praising him, thanking him for the message. Listen, that judgment, his judgment was only surpassed by his grace. And if you're a Christian today, you're saying, I've received the grace of God. I believe what he did on Calvary, and I surrender. I've yielded my life. You see, Judah needed a message of hope. They needed a message of hope. Assyria had been used by God to punish his people in, dis in their disobedience, Isaiah 10. He recognized what they had done. Judah saw what could happen to them. The Bible says, in 2 Kings chapter 17, that the king of Assyria went throughout all the land, went up to Samaria and besieged it for three years. The northern kingdom. Those in Judah saw the evil. What did evil look like? The Assyrian rulers were barbaric. No wonder Judah was scared. They would skin kings alive and paper the walls in the city with the skins of the king. They would impale humans on stakes. They would gouge out eyes. They would tear out tongues if you disagreed. 
and did not follow Baal. So Naaman gives us a word that we all need to hear this morning. And that is, number five, that God is still on the throne and that every empire, every life must answer to God. I'm telling you, folks, we live in the most gospel-saturated place in the world. Did you hear what I said? The most gospel-saturated place of the world. You can go home after church today. Many are staying at home today watching, watching a much better preacher than, than here in Camden, hearing a much better message from somebody at, with the click of a button. The gospel is everywhere. You can find it anywhere. But I believe we all would agree that we certainly have drifted from the mark. We've drifted from the mark. America will have to give an answer for the wealth that we have with the gospel. So what does he do? He introduces this prophecy. Look, if you will. He says, the burden against Nineveh in verse 1. The burden. That means that something heavy is, is about to follow. Something weighty. We're going to discuss a weighty matter. This capital of Assyria, this Nineveh that we know all about. And then he reminds us of something. He says, God is jealous and the Lord avenges. The, the Lord avenges and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries. He reserves wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger, great to power, and will not at all acquit the wicked. So Naaman reminds us, or I'm sorry, Nahum reminds us that we serve a God who's a jealous God. You say, Brother Greg, that doesn't quite sound right. Well, listen to what the Bible says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Now, now brothers and sisters, that sounds to me like when we claim that we are believers, when we claim that we are Christians, that we serve a God who says, I want all of you. I want all of you. And for some of you here today, maybe you're the, you're the believer who has one foot here today and one foot in the world. And, and the foot looks pretty good today because you're surrounded by Christians. But tomorrow, you want to you look like the world. I'm telling you, a Christian life like that, God will not bless. He wants all of you. The Bible says he doesn't want to share you with the world. Now, He's a God who avenges. He's a God who takes vengeance. He's a God who uh, brings wrath on injustice. He's a God who's slow to anger, but yet he's a God who's great in power. What are you saying, Brother Greg? He can handle all of it. In a city with, with pride and strength and brutality like Nineveh, listen, that's no match for a holy God. He'd already brought it to its knees once in revival, and now that they've drifted away from God, he has to do it again, and he does it in an unlikely way. Look at verse 3. The Lord is slow to anger, great in power, and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. The Lord is in the whirlwind. We call this a theophany. This is an appearance of God to man. And here, God appears as a storm of judgment toward Nineveh. When you look further down in, in the book and in this chapter, for instance, uh, the second part of verse 3 the Lord has his way in the whirlwind. What you're going to see uh, re repeated in chapter 1, uh, you're going to see the mighty one, Yahweh, the, the personal name of God repeated. And Nahum is saying it's this God who will bring victory. 
You know, the Bible also says that he's faithful here. He's patient. He is able. His wrath is sure, and this wrath is not from a hot, tempered reaction. Anybody in here ever been told you have a hot temper? Yeah, thank you for raising your hand. I appreciate that. Okay, thank you. Some of us do. Some of us do, and we don't think we do. Just like some of us snore, and we don't think we snore. Oh, now the hands are popping up all over the place, aren't they? Uh, What are you saying, Brother Greg? God does not react. And his fury isn't simply a change of heart. He will be faithful to the end. He will by no means clear the guilty. Now, what does he do in this judgment? Well, according to verse 4, he dries up everything. These places that were, were choice, uh, Bashan, fruitful land, uh, Carmel, uh, a mountain with fertile land, uh, Lebanon, that's where the wooded forests on the northern border uh, were rich. He said these things are about to come to an end. Verse 5, the mountains quake before him, the hills melt, and the earth heaves at his presence. Yes, the world and all who dwell in it, who can stand before his indignation and who can endure the fierceness of his anger? This prophecy has two parts. The judgment of Nineveh and the goodness of God. Let's keep going. Verse 7. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who trust in him, but with an overflowing flood, he will make an utter end of its place and darkness will pursue his enemies. What do you conspire against the Lord? He will make an utter end of it. Affliction will not rise up a second time. As a matter of fact, listen, this is a message that will never be repeated. This is it. Nineveh is about to be erased. The prophecy is a good God will take care of his people. You say, Brother Greg, why is Judah so important? Because out of the tribe of Judah would come the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, born in Bethlehem. And I love the fact when you look at uh, a stronghold in the day of trouble, verse 7, he knows those who trust in him. He's a personal Savior. If you're here today and you're a Christian, he knows your name. If you're here today and you're unsure of whether or not you're saved, he is aware of that. In a few moments, we'll give an invitation, and maybe your heart is being drawn. It's the Holy Spirit of God saying, listen, make sure. Make sure you know how much I love you. He's a personal Savior. Look at verse 8. But with an overflowing flood, he's more than enough. Amen? He's more than enough. He will put an utter end of its place. There will be unrelenting victory. And he said there'll be thorns that can't be untangled. There'll be drunkards that cannot sober up. There'll be stubble that cannot be rehydrated. It is over. And then if you look down maybe at verse 11, from you comes forth one who plots evil against the Lord, a wicked counselor. Uh, Most would say that could be any Assyrian leader. Their time is up. And he gives some promise. Verse 13. For now I will break off his yoke from you and burst your bonds apart. Verse 14. The Lord has given you a command concerning you. Your name shall be perpetuated no longer. This is the end. This is the end. You know, a lot of times in family lines, you think about uh, a grandson uh, who might have a, a little boy, and you're thinking, okay, the, the family name's going to continue on. Well, right here, the Bible says this is it. You're going to be erased by the judgment of God, and Judah, don't you give up or give in because I will fight the fight for you. Verse 15, behold means to listen up. On the mountains, the feet of him who brings good tidings, who proclaims peace, 
O Judah, keep your appointed feast. Perform your vows, for the wicked one shall no more pass through you. He is utterly cut off. You see, God gives Judah a word of peace through an insignificant name, Nahum. And I believe there are three things as we close that will help us understand the significance of this minor prophet. First of all, he says, I will provide renewed worship. You see, when revival comes, there is a renewal of worship. There's a renewal of worship in your heart. You desire to worship. You don't have to go to church. You get to go to church. It's the privilege that we have. So Judah would have this platform of renewed worship. Secondly, there would be renewed joy and celebration. He says in verse 15, O Judah, keep your appointed feast. Don't give up. Continue to serve. Continue to serve with joy. And I believe, listen, the greatest thing you and I could give somebody who walks into this church, who's not part of the church and might be looking around or praying about a place to settle in or a place to visit on vacation, or if you're here today and you're a guest, I believe one of the greatest things you could see in the life of a church family is joy. Joy. Now, I get it. Every, now, every time we say to some of you, hey, this morning we're going to welcome each other. Once you turn and welcome guests, there are some of you that that's so hard to do that you kind of fold your arms and you stand there and you wonder, if anybody, is anybody going to come to me? Hey, those days are over. Why don't you be the one to look for somebody else? You say, Brother Greg, what if I, what if I meet somebody and they've been going to this church 30 years and, and I'd be so embarrassed? And, and I walk up to Cody, and I, I say, hi, Cody, I'm Greg. And Cody says, I'm sorry, I, I don't think we've ever met. That, that's no reason for anybody to feel awkward. I'll just say, you simply need to start coming to church more. You know what I mean. You know what I mean. Just be yourself. Just be yourself. I believe there's an expectancy when it comes to renewed worship, that there's joy in the house. That there's, that there's real joy. Not joy that comes from a service on Sunday night and two weeks later in May is gone. Or not even joy that comes 100 years ago and is gone today. As a matter of fact, most of us will not be here in 100 years. True? Sarah, can I say that based on scientific, medical, unless the Lord Jesus comes, amen? We can cut it way down from 100, can't we? But he's coming. And then lastly, he promises that the enemy's done, finished. Look at how it closes. He says, keep your joy, proclaim your feast, perform your vows, for the wicked one shall no more pass through you. He is utterly cut off. I love that. So what can I bring to revival tonight? Still got your pen out? Yourself? Your family? Be a leader. Be a leader to your family. Tell the kids, tell the teenagers we're going. This is what time we're leaving. Bring a heart that's longing to hear from God. Bring a surrendered spirit. Lord, if you want to speak to my heart tonight, I'm ready. And let's see what the Lord wants to do. Let's see what the Lord wants to do. I want everybody to stand. The invitation's going to look a little bit different this morning. Every head bowed, every eye closed. On the altar this morning, we have a number of prayer books entitled 21 Days for Prayer for Couples. I'm speaking to every married couple in the room right now. To every married couple in the room right now. Here with, if you're here with your spouse, I want you to take their hands. And men, I want you to come forward with your, with your wife, and I want you to take a book, and I want you to remain here at the altar. Okay? Marcia's going to play. Go, listen, we're not looking around at each other. We're in a spirit of prayer, okay? Married couples, come on. Men, be the leader.
Okay, just take a book and remain here at the front. Amen. I think there's plenty, at least plenty for one per couple, okay? Oh, this is good. This is good. You're here today and your spouse may not be with you. Take it home with you. Come on. Say we're going to do this. sitting here, you take it home, okay? All right, I want you to listen to me. Bow your heads. I'm going to ask you to do what Renee and I did in the first service with the group. This is 21 days. 21 days starting today, May 1. That way we can stay with the date on the day that we have our devotion. These are very short prayers, very short devotions, but I'm asking you to commit starting today with your spouse, 21 straight days. And I'm telling you, God's going to do something. He's going to do something. So here's where we begin. You ready? I want you to face your spouse right now. And dad, husband, I'm talking to you. You lead in prayer right now for your bride and ask God to help us do this. 21 straight days, a commitment to prayer. Okay, you can pray out loud if you want to. Go ahead and pray right now. Father, hear a prayer. Help us together. Just make this commitment. Let revival begin in our own marriage, in our own home, beginning today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can return to your seat. You might be here today and you say, Brother Greg, I just haven't found that right person as I'm into my career. I'm single. I want to encourage you. There's some black copies here at the front. Uh, I want to encourage you to pick that up on your way out, okay? 21 days of prayer, intentionally praying together. All right? Marcia, keep playing. Okay. I can't believe it. That, that's the invitation, Brother Greg, and, and uh, now you're going to let us out of here without even... Asking people if anybody wants to be saved, be saved. No. We're going to do that right now. Anybody here want to give their life to Christ this morning? Well, if you do, Kasia's going to sing one more verse. And I'm going to ask you to come. And we'll have a time of prayer right here together. And you can settle it once and for all. You can yield your life to Christ. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let that be today. Let's sing with her. If you need to come, I'll meet you, okay? Sing it out.
God bless you this morning for being faithful. God bless you for being here. I, I want to commend the church as we continue to give on the good job. And uh, there are two ways you can give. One way is directly through the offering boxes in the back as you walk out. The second way is online. Uh, Renee and I give online, camdencornerpope.com. Very easy to set up. You create a username and password, and that's it. Uh, our gift comes out on Saturday. We get an email that says, your gift has been received by First Southern Baptist Church, Camden, Ohio. And, uh, and I thank the Lord for that opportunity. So uh, we praise God for you. Uh, what time do we start tonight? Okay, 6.33. Two things are going to happen prior to that. Music will probably be getting ready. Uh, Barb is assembling a prayer team prior to the service. Most likely we'll meet upstairs. Uh, Barb, raise your hand. Okay? There's a faithful group on Wednesday night that pray. They're going to come in before the service tonight. What time are you going to meet, Barb? 5.45? Okay, so you can do that. Also, uh, a group of our deacons and some men are going to be praying with our evangelists tonight in my office before the service. Any of you men are invited to come be part of that, okay? And we'll meet at 6 o'clock, so you come. I believe uh, our Mad Hatter has an announcement. If you signed up to sponsor a table and decorate it for the tea, could we meet up here briefly after church? And if you want to come to the tea and have not signed up, you need to do it this week because we have to have a count. Okay? Thank, thank you very much. Thank you, Judith. Hey, there are, there are a few of these couple books left. Uh, let it be a ministry opportunity for some of you. You might, you might know a couple. You might have some kids. Uh, take it to them and say, how about you doing it with us? Okay? So uh, we praise the Lord for that. Let's bow our heads, okay? been a good day, amen? I'm going to ask Tracy Keller if he'll close us in prayer. Today is Bread Sunday. If you'd like to give $1, that goes to help us restock our food pantry. Tracy. That's all right, cause I hear a voice and